Hey guys, welcome to 12 Questions Podcast. My name is Dave Yates, and we are running a solo episode today. Uh, Anna Valenzuela is taking a little bit of a, a break ski because we got a very special guest. And uh, as always, uh, before we introduce our guest, we like to read our little clarity statement. So uh, in the spirit of Miss Anna Valenzuela, woo, 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 we're here, guys. It's 12 Questions Podcast. Dave, can you read that beautiful clarity statement? Well, yes, I can, spirit of Anna Valenzuela. Welcome to 12 Questions Podcast. It's a podcast where we believe growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences and growth by also interviewing guests who do the same. We are not affiliated with AA, NA, or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions Pod has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're just simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to interview people about their own life experiences. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of this podcast is to learn more about ourselves. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves and each other by listening. So that's that clarity statement, and I'm very excited uh, to be interviewing uh, our guest today. And as always, we let our guests introduce themselves. So who are we speaking with today? Hey, it's Stuart Thompson. Nice to talk to you, Dave. Stuart, Stu Beef. I call you Stu Beef. Uh, <laughs> yes, you do. Anna, to Anna, I don't think anybody else calls you Stu Beef, but it makes me happy, and I don't know why I do it. <laughs> so hopefully it, you're not bothered by it. <laughs> no, not bothered. I, I always introduce myself as Stuart, but after that, it's not really up to me. Uh, my mom calls me Stu. I've There's other friends and comic friends who've called me Stewie. Uh, you know, Kyle Clark, uh, friend of mine, uh, friend of mine calls me, uh, Stewie Stewie Tom Tom. Oh, wow. Uh, that That's was a- from the, uh, the Meltdown Mike days. Yeah. Uh, so shout out to uh, Kyle Clark. Shout out to Kyle. That's great. And, uh, Stuart is a, a phenomenal comic, uh, an all around good dude. Thanks, and, man. uh, if you're an avid listener of 12 Questions podcast, you know that the Stuart that we refer to sometimes, uh, is, Anna Valenzuela Stewart. So this is one in the same. Yes, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I am the uh, I am the uh, the white dude of storied uh, yes <laughs> of yes. stories. Yes, yes. Um, and I I I've I've uh, I've known you for the three years I've been out here, and I, I again every time I talk to you, it's like talking to an old friend. So I'm excited to. Um, do twelve questions podcasts uh, interviewing you, and you've been on the show before. Yes, I and it was also interviewed by someone that was not Anna. So it was uh, it's an interesting uh, pattern. We might start developing where Anna uh, <laughs> decides, uh, you know, what this is not my call. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it's I mean, you guys uh, are both good friends of mine, and um, I'm very lucky to have good people like you both in my life. And I think it's it's nice when you can interview people that are a couple for lack of better terms, you know, uh, like they're, they operate as a unit, but getting your perspective on where your life has been since your last, uh, uh, appearance on 12 questions to see if things have changed. Uh, if you're still maintaining some of the same opinions on, I guess the world around us right now. Uh, and as it relates to, you know, whatever, whatever you're dealing with on a day to day basis. Yeah, it's a very different world. I, I got to think, I'm trying to remember exactly when, but it was at least a couple years ago when I was last on. So I got to think that things have changed. Uh, we would hope. 
We would I, hope. I, I would hope at least a little bit. And, and I mean, at least if not for you, uh, the world is on fire a little bit more mm-hmm. than it was two years ago, one would argue. So, yeah, I'm sure, you know, if you went back at any amount of time, it was like, it can't get any worse than this. And then, <laughs> and then uh, somehow uh, nature says, hold my beer. And uh, <laughs> yeah, anytime I hear anybody say it's it can't get any it can only get better from here. Like I, I get like like irrationally perturbed with whoever's uttering because it's it's that's the thing it could always get worse yeah words are very powerful yeah and anytime you think that it can't get worse and then it does you end up getting thrown further back because you've been disproven by uh the universe that on any given day is going to act exactly how it wants to act yeah it's um yeah, recognizing that there's no control over those external forces is uh, mad important. Well, quick check-in, though. Like, how, how has the past four months been treating you? I mean, like I said, Stuart's a, a comedian uh, among, other, uh, among other endeavors. And how are you dealing with it as a, a, as a comedian? As a comedian, I definitely feel I'm lacking uh, the stimulus that I'm used to. Have a pretty strong work ethic when it comes to most things, but comedy is no exception. And I was used to going on stage, not necessarily every day, but at, but at least you know four times a week or so. And I admi- I appreciated that consistency. And once it was gone, I definitely felt uh, squirrely. And I've been able to do some online shows here and there. And it's kind of, I, it's kind of like methadone to heroin. It's like yeah. it scratches that itch a little bit, but it doesn't quite uh, suffice fully. It's no one's fault. It's just it's a different experience. And I uh, but I've definitely come to a place of acceptance that, you know, right now might not be, ha- you know, being a comedian might not be how I'm useful to myself and others in the current, you know, state of affairs. Yeah, and I think with all the energy that we put into comedy, and I'm not trying to speak for you or all comedians, but for me, uh, there is a lot of um, energy that needs direction because I'm not out every night either performing or watching comedy. Um, you know, so like, w- what does that look like on a day to day basis? for me is what what i've kind of tried to do these past four months just to just to try to be a healthier brain yeah yeah it's you know i do think in order for creativity to thrive there have to be some sort of parameters so i think this is a good time for people to be creative it just might not be stand up exactly but then but there's also where you're on if you go on social media you see the there are some people that are just fucking grasping at straws to try to just put that energy somewhere, whether it's mm-hmm. arguing with people on the internet or hastily producing, you know, videos. Um, you know, I, 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 and I don't judge any, like, Hey, however you're getting through this shit right now, yeah. uh, if you're not hurting me or other people, 
just fucking scream, scream, scream at the moon, fucking throw spaghetti <laughs> at the walls and see what sticks out there. Uh, you know, this is a time. This is a this is a mulligan, really. Yeah, we're, we are. We're getting a life mulligan right now. Yeah, go be TikTok famous. It's fine. No one's going to judge you for it. For now. For now. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, maybe some governing body will judge you. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> as they gather all your information. But, uh, you know, for now, it's like, yeah, there's there's plenty of ways to be useful. And you know, for me, it's about it's been a, a lot about just like learning how to be a person. And uh, I was lucky to move into a new place right as uh, shelter in place was coming into effect in Los Angeles. And so it's allowed me to really like think about, okay, what type of home do I want to live in? You know, and it's, I'm still in the process of making it feel more and more like a, like a home, but I definitely have taken more time in, to look into that than I would have had. I been doing stand up full throttle and trying to tour and all that. Cause most places I've lived in have been crash pads. Yeah, because it's like you're all like all that energy is is uh, used up with the comings and goings of like the the actual act of stand up is the is the respite from all the shit that you have to do in order to get to perform the the driving the eating shittily the sleeping on a couch that you know yeah. the you know just the being conscious about where your money is going all of that takes so much energy when. Yeah. All that it really is is the, the moments on stage is your relief, and that's the that's the chasing the dragon. And when there's no dragon to chase, what do you do? You know. Yeah, you gotta you gotta find a new industry, and I know a lot of our peers and friends have moved to other cities and states to be more uh, comfortable and or be with loved ones, or you know, start anew, or you know, really go back to square one about, okay, what am I? And if that's what they need, then great. And I applaud them for it. You know, for me, I'm from the Bay area. I can't afford to move back home. <laughs> yeah. Oakland's more expensive than LA. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be saving money by <laughs> going back to where I'm from. No. And, and, you know, I'm from Illinois originally. So, uh, uh, I could I could literally go buy a house with my rent uh, out in Illinois. So that's a hard thing to to wrestle with sometimes. Is like yeah, I could and be I mean, a homeowner. Yeah, but you know, I think I think what a lot of us have rationalized is like, but you know, you would have to. There's all the the effects of that decision. Is like then you have to live in you. You're from Peoria, is that right? Uh, that was where my home club was, uh, but uh, I, I was bo I was born in Harvey, Illinois, so like suburbs of Chicago, like South Side of Got Chicago. It. Yeah, so I mean, like that's so then you end up living in Harvey, and you get all the effects of what it what comes with living in that part of the world. And in some places, in some ways, it's great. You, you know, maybe you're closer to nature, maybe you're closer to family and close friends from growing up, but you. You know, from my experience living in a suburb or in a secluded community, it's like you have less access to, you know, certain types of food and certain benefits of living in a major metropolitan area. Yeah. And I I lived in central Illinois before I moved out here. So, I mean, I uh, I loved my time there, but uh, I'm happy where I am. But, you know, all this, you know, is is coming to our first question. Like, what does surrender look like? 
for you now? Um, I think it comes in the form of acceptance. You know, it's... I think a lot about what I can and can't control. Because I, I would... I'd have to look at the date, but... I entered a 12-step program... Um, about 18 months ago, and so that word surrender and those words surrender and acceptance get thrown around a lot and sure it means different things to different people but for me um you know it comes in the form of acceptance i have difficulty naturally accepting things for what they are you know i i don't know about you but most of the things in stand-up did not come uh easily to me i i I've definitely had to uh fight for a lot of things or at least persistently ask for (laughs) certain things to happen and uh everything i've done in my career requires a lot of following up because i am the epicenter of this creative business that i'm putting together and have built from the ground up over 11 years so when things don't go my way i usually just try to find a way around them and I guess you could argue that's happening now, but it's like I was saying earlier, I'm just, I'm figuring out what my use is right now, my utility in this world. And it just might not be stand up. Well, it's differentiating the job versus your identity. And too many people make stand up their identity, which has been hard for people to surrender that they can't. And I, I can only speak for me, but, you know, it, it, it is a big part of who I am. But the break has taught me that it's not stand up is not what I am. Yeah, I think a way of compartmentalized is being a stand up is how I it's an influence on how I see the world and how I process information but it's not it's definitely not my identity and that helped when i stopped working at the comedy store as a door guy after working there for five years i think i made you know comedy in the comedy world my identity for a while there and not working there anymore felt like a breakup with an ex-girlfriend sure and so i had to really figure out again what you know what my purpose was and what what i could offer to people and sometimes in L.A., people associate what they offer with, you know, who they can be. And so right now, what's my use? I can I can focus on my health, um, you know, just my, my physical health, whether it's riding my bike or going to doctor's appointments and taking care. I had surgery during this quarantine. I had surgery on my sinuses because... Yeah, how's that? How's, how's your nose? How's your nose holes? You breathing better? Hell yeah! Hear that, ladies and gentlemen. Stu Stu's got that strong nasal passage now. Yeah, I couldn't do that before, folks. <laughs> could, could, <laughs> could not do breathe it through his nose, and had no idea that that was not normal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I think. I think a lot of folks. You know, if something happened, if something would happen to me early in life, I just felt like, well, I guess this is what it is. You know, I'm I'm left-handed, and I can't breathe through my nose. That's just that's how. That's, that's what I ca- can do. That's the cards I was dealt. Yeah. So. But now I, that I can breathe better, I, I definitely am more at ease. And Anna says I don't snore as much, so that's good. Hell yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I ride my bike around town, I and I tutor kids. You know, I, I that's something I've been doing while I was doing comedy for a long time, and it was 
the idea was like, I'll tutor until stand-up pays for everything or until I get on a TV show and or writing or acting. And then I can slowly phase out of tutoring. But now it's like, all right, well, this is how I can be useful. You know, schools are don't seem to know what they're doing as far as uh, education is concerned. Even in a you know progressive state like California, they're still trying to figure out how to properly handle the mess we're in. And it's not their fault. It's just like, you know, again, it's the cards were dealt. And so I can be of help in supplementing the student's education. And fortunately, I'm helping more. I'm I'm hoping to help more than just one percenters. My one of the companies I work for is trying to uh, get us uh, a situation where we can work with each of us can work with a foster kid. So my hope is I can sort of, uh, you know, socioeconomically and karmically balance my being of service. Sure. Yeah. I mean, people, people that can't afford service still deserve service. Yeah, totally. And I think, uh, you know, there just has to be some honest dialogue about it to make, to make sure expectations are clear on both ends. And I'm, I even put out a notice on Facebook yeah, I like saw right that. at the beginning offering, of quarantine. Yeah, yeah it's like, yeah, it's like, hey, I know schools are weird right now. It's like, hey, I'll help you. To any of my Facebook friends, who, you know, many of whom have kids, um, it's like, I'll help your kid for free if you, yep. if you want it. And no one took me up on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, uh, being it, honest, it's like, no, it's nothing against people. Maybe people feel too proud or they weren't sure what their kid needed, but. Or maybe you know, Facebook just buried it because, you, you know, it thought you were trying to sell some shit. Facebook will do that, <laughs> you know. Maybe. I mean, I, I, got, mean, I, I, got, I got the likes. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I I was offering something similar uh, without the kids. Uh, I'm changing people's oil for cost of parts because oh, sure. I'm good at working on cars. It makes me feel good, you know, to help people out in that way. And not as many people as I would have expected took me up on it. You know, so, right. I mean, I still put it out there that I'll do it and I'm happy to do it, you know, but uh, it's it's just it's just it's been insane. But also this insanity has become normal. So, you know, I guess the next question would be, you know, maybe what's the most insane moment that you've had in the past two to three years or even the past 18 months since you've, you've, you've been in a, in a 12 step program? Um. That's a good question. I think, I think in the last two to three years was probably right before I started going to my twelve step program. I uh, I had uh, injured my my leg in a skiing accident, and I was laid up for better part of a month. And I it was the first time. I think this is partially why I'm handling this quarantine and sheltering in place better than I uh, would have had I not had this experience prior. You know, I, I was laid up, and I couldn't really get around anywhere, and it was the first time I had really been immobilized that way and felt uh, weak in that way, that I like I couldn't do anything except, like, go to my physical therapy and, you know, figure out how to walk on crutches and then walk on a cane. And I still had my obligations for shows and stuff, and I would do what I could, but, you know, I had to change a lot of stuff about my life and I was super frustrated because I was used to living a certain way 
And being a young guy, I, I mean, I was only uh, 28 at the time when I messed up my leg. And I was so, I was so frustrated and uh, I resented myself for being, for being weak. And I, I think I just, I prided myself on always having this like mobility that I took for granted. And it, it made me insane. I was impossible to be around. And I managed to, you know, make some comedy out of it, but I, I think I caused more hurt, more harm than I did good during that time. Yeah, when when you're when you're forced into a state of powerlessness because it's like you can't rush heal yourself, like you just have to kind of take it as it comes. Like there, you know, there's elements of that first question in surrendering to the fact that, okay, this is the reality and this is the present. My leg is broken. I can't do as much as I could. So I can, you know, uh, like for me, when whenever I'm beaten into a, a state of reasonability, it's like you can either fight it or you can be free. You have a choice at that point, you know? Yeah. And I fought it. I fought it really hard. And I would get, I would try to be the fastest person on crutches and I would try to be... <laughs> And I would, I, I would try to do things like walk without my cane for, you know, as soon as I could discard it, I would. And, but after a while of just like, you know, being humbled at, you know, at physical therapy, you know, going to this, you know, PT place in Koreatown and it was just me and a bunch of old Korean ladies trying to get our joints right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it was... It was super humbling to just be in that state where it's just like something's not working and I have and it's going to be a long way back. Uh, it took me about three to three and a half months to be able to start doing like regular exercise again. And I'd be humbled every time I tried to do something that was just overextending myself. And that's and that's kind of how I make myself crazy in general is. Uh, through overextension. I think I can do far more things in a day or in a week or a month or a year than I actually can. And I, I beat myself up for not achieving this realistic expectation. Well, and it sounds like, uh, although you were doing physical rehab, you, you were also forced to rehab the, uh, your thought processes and your decision-making, which leads us into the next question. How do you make decisions? Uh, most of my decisions, I mean, what, what kind of decisions? Just like any decisions? Yeah. Like how do you make decisions in your life? Like, uh, you know, let's, let's just, we'll, we'll keep it to the, you know, um, because you've been in the 12 step for 18 months, you know, so I, I, I would, I would assume that affects the way you make decisions or I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, like with decisions on like, who you're going to help or how you're going to help yourself or mm. how you relate to the world around you. Like how, how do you make decisions in that regard? Lately, I've been trying to make decisions more in the realm of making sure that I'm taking care of my needs first. And that, so then I can help those around me. Uh, I think before I was really thinking about this sincerely, or with uh, added focus, I would kind of, I would typically put others' needs before my own. I would, I ba I basically lived on the idea that's like, 
I have a lot of things going for me. So, you know, if someone really needs help, it doesn't really matter what my needs are. This person takes priority. If someone is dealing with like a, a, a shittier situation, then I, I, it's kind of my duty to help them. And I run myself ragged. Yeah, I, uh, for me, I, on any given day, could give a fuck less about me. But if if you need help, I I will drop every like I will drop everything. I'll lose sleep over it, and uh, you know, and and some might look at that as like a noble pursuit. But in in actuality, if I'm not taking care of me, I can't be of maximum service like I truly would like to be if I'm not taking care of myself. Yeah, it's called martyrdom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. and then you're like, well, I'm helping all these people. I deserve to be a pissant. Yeah, and I I would take it out on people when I um when I felt like I wasn't getting I wasn't getting respect for all these sacrifices that no one asked me to make. Yeah, like uh what for me it's usually like, well, you would you would feel ragged and run down and, and shitty if you cared as much as I cared. Like it was like a like I care the like I care Olympics. Yeah, it's um, yeah no and no one else is competing in those games except uh, the individual feeling that. And so yeah, now I'm I try to make decisions where it's like okay, you know I I, I do a better job now, especially in the last like few months of like scheduling me time and scheduling just like the things that I need to do and want to do. And, you know, having like those things that are like, okay, I have my urgent and important needs. And then I have these other things that are, you know, a little less important or a little less urgent. And I have these things to work through. And then that leaves me, you know, these times to do these other things. And because I'm typically more of a calculated thinker, uh, for better or for worse, having that organization does help me say like, okay, you know, the time that I can help is this chunk. Mm-hmm. And if you want help and you're willing to accept help at this time, then I got you. It's yeah. It's a big boundaries thing too, is sometimes I have to have boundaries that are for me and for me alone you know, uh, and not impose those boundaries on other people. That's kind of what I've been working on. Yeah, I am. Um, I was. I found myself actually utilizing this decision making pretty re- pretty well. Um, my grandma died uh, at the time that we're recording this, a little over a month ago, mm-hmm. and not COVID related, but it was a respiratory thing that she died of, and. I, there were, there's logistics that come when, when people die and my, my family had these things that they wanted to get done. It wasn't like a strict timeline, but they wanted, I went, I I went up to see my family to help and I chose, I I went with that intention. I'm going to, I'm going to be of help to my family and I decided that I was going to help them, but I wouldn't let anything get in the way of the things that I already had set up. So if I set up, say like a podcast recording, like we're doing now, or if I ended up doing a zoom show, or if I just made a point to see some friends is like, okay, I can help from this time to this time. Or I had to, I had to tutor students. So it's like, 
okay, I can I can't come over Wednesday because I got four kids I got to tutor, but I can come over Thursday and Friday. Is that cool? And of course, it was fine. It was not, you know, there was no we didn't have to sell the house by like a certain day. Sure. But I wanted to help. And, you know, I'm a I'm an extra working I'm an able-bodied person. I should. I, I felt it was a good thing, and, it, and I'm glad I did it. But I didn't, you know, do it at the cost of my sanity. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, you can easily, or I can easily, forget that my intentions, like they, they say, like the old phrase, like the the road to hell was paved with good intentions. Right, you know, and it's just like my intentions are good, so uh, well, you know, why why am I me- melting internally <laughs> right now? <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so, what would you say is the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself through, let's say, these past eighteen months or past four months? You know, whatever time frame. Um, good question. I, I think. I mean, one. This is just something that popped in my mind. Is something that's been very powerful for me. It's like the power of uh, pausing, sure, before I react to something. I I have a tendency to get um when I'm not in a place of when I'm not centered or when I'm not taking care of my needs. I have a tendency to get reactive and defensive, and that's that leads to building resentments and. Um, all that. <laughs> yeah, and this is actually something I've been mulling over um, in my own recovery, where we have a, a pause when agitated slogan that gets drilled in our heads sometimes, you know. But I've been learning how to pause when things are sweet as well. So pausing in order to make rational decisions and to not formulate resentments is one thing. But also for me, I have a hard time sometimes pausing and recognizing when things are just good. Yeah. Like, um, I, I'm a big Kurt Vonnegut guy and there's a a longer quote, but you know, uh, to paraphrase it, so, you know, um, one of the most, one of the objectionable things about human beings is they very rarely pause and recognize when things are sweet, you know, and he's like, so I, I hope that you, you will do that. And when something is nice, you say, if this isn't nice, what is like outwardly verbally acknowledging when things are nice as a pause, it can be just as useful, uh, that I'm learning as pausing when I'm agitated. Yeah. As I embarked on my stand-up career, you know, moving to Los Angeles at 21 and being here now for over eight years, I've been I've become a bit of a joyless or a killjoy in certain ways because <laughs> everything was, I mean for one, I also like, I like being right a lot of the time Yeah, and it feels uh, good that, yeah, totally, it's like it's part, it's part of why I do stand-up, yeah. is to be heard and to be right, and uh to, but that's not great when it comes to interpersonal relationships or romantic relationships. You know, yeah. trying to be right and not recognizing joy uh, makes it pretty hard for 
people to be around me. And I don't, I don't throw it around all the time, but you know, you know, part of me, I guess, I guess the big, another big, uh, revelation is just like, I get, it goes in line with pausing is accepting people when they're wrong or when they're doing something wrong. And it's just like, that's at least wrong to me. It's like, you know, that's just, that's just where they are right now. Yeah. And it's not, it's not my place to dig them out of it or show them the way. Cause most people, if they really want to find answers, they'll seek them out themselves. Well, and it's a practice. Like a lot of these things are, are practices. Um, one way that I've looked at accepting people is um, like I had a, an older guy in recovery that used to like poke fun at me under the guise of, oh, you can't take a joke? Well, a comedian can't take a joke. It's like, no, man, I'm a person. And when you belittle me and make fun of me, like I'm, I'm not going to feel good about it. So, you know, um, and I got mad and I, I talked to my sponsor at the time and he goes, you know what? Steve used to be in a fucking nasty biker gang and he used to do a lot of terrible shit. And what he's doing right now isn't very good or very nice, but this is the best he's ever been. So I have to remember that. Like, who am I to say that this is not the best that this person's ever been? It may, it may not be great. It may not be good. Yeah. But I don't know if this is not them doing their best, especially right now in the quarantine. It's like, I, I do truly believe that I'm going to say majority of people are really doing their best. And it's a much easier place for me to, to, to live in my own head when I just try to acknowledge that maybe, maybe that person that cut me off in traffic is doing their best. Yeah, I, I definitely, that's not, it sounds lovely. I don't, I, w- I wish I could say that more often. I don't. Um, I don't necessarily Wait, think that you can try. I could try. I could try. It's it's not rolled out. Uh, but I I, de- <laughs> I kind of for me I I go more middle ground because I, I I had a therapist diagnose me with this thing called dysthymia, which is sort of like every day I I kind of hover around meh. Like okay. I don't ha- I don't have like strong levels of depression or highs and lows. I'm just kind of meh all the time. Okay. Which may be a contributor and, um, but I, I just say like, this is where we are right now. You know, it's not whether it's good or bad, this is it. And it's like a, you could argue it's like a pessimist way or a stoics way to presence. Uh, (laughs) but I, it's, it's helped a little bit at least. And I'll take anything that helps a little bit. Yeah. And, and, there are many roads to the same city, you know? So, yeah. you know, if, 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 if that's the way you get to present, you know, and we were speaking about this, uh, before the podcast, like the present is a safe place. So as long as the way I'm trying to get there, isn't really harming anybody around me or being detrimental to myself, uh, you know, uh, all, all roads that lead to present is, is good for in my book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how would how honest would you say you are with yourself and the people around you on on a day to day basis? I think more honest than before I was in the twelve step program. I think 
I do have a tendency to people please and um, want to appear impressive. Mm. And like like being the fastest person on crutches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be you know, be the smartest guy in the room without having to say it. That kind of thing. Mm. And um, I I definitely have taken a step back from that and allowed myself to just sort of be where I am. Cause for one, you know, from a physical perspective, my body is not what it used to be. I'm, I'm only 30, Jesus. but I'm used to, yeah, I mean, I know, you know, some people would say I still have placenta on my face. Oh, but, I, I, I was more laughing at the fact that like, whenever I say my age at 34, anybody older is like, oh, you're still a baby. It's like, so when am I, when am I old? Like, when am I old to you? That that's You're old around. when all those people die. Yes, that's <laughs> when, when there's no one left around you to point out that you're Just, young. Yeah, when there's no one left to say you're a baby. Um, there, I, I'm definitely a little bit more honest with myself about my physical limitations. And um, I do sometimes get self-conscious about it. You know, I, I check to see, like, okay, where's my hairline today? I check to see, you know, like, um, you know, when I had my surgery, I was, uh, I couldn't exercise the way I used to, even with my fucked up sinuses. You know, I was still, I was still moving at a pretty good clip on my bike and I could, I could walk, you know, six or seven miles, no problem. And, uh, now I do that and it's a little more of a chore. And I'm trying to get back to that place. And, you know, I'm trying to build up other parts of my body so that I'm just, as I as I go further in my 30s, I can, you know, handle myself and be less prone to further injuries. Yeah, I, I have that same thing where I got to be honest with myself. Um, like, I'm learning how to surf right now, and I'm fucking terrible at it. And I get so frustrated that I'm not immediately good at this thing. And a lot of it has to do with like when I was younger, I would take to cert I would take fast to certain physical activities. Like I had surfed like twenty years ago and I had skateboarded while I was doing that time. And I remember that time where it's like, Well, why was I getting up on the board then twenty years ago? And now I can barely fucking sit on the damn thing while while the ocean chews me up and spits me out. Yeah. But I gotta remember it's like I'm not fourteen anymore. Like I I, I'm 34 and I and I'm trying something essentially for the first time with with the physical limitations that I have and I have to be okay with just slow forward progress. Yeah. I um Yeah, it's a it's still forward. So, you know, I think I I create these expectations in my head for like where I should be and you know, I've always fancy myself a quick learner and a um, a coachable person. So I always felt like I was able to advance quickly in whatever I was doing. And I still do that in certain respects. Like I I know I have the ability to learn languages and retain them pretty well. So I've been, you know, playing around on, on Duolingo on my phone a lot. So I, I'm able to scratch that itch in that way and test myself and push myself into further levels of discomfort and work that muscle, even if I can't work my physical muscles to the same degree. But I also, as far as honesty is concerned, I am getting 
I've had to learn how to be honest about my feelings the most, and I'm still struggling with that in certain respects. Um, I'm not. I I've been called a robot a lot in okay. my life. I've been called. You know, so I've, people have asked if I'm autistic. Uh, in you know, throughout throughout my existence, I was always pretty quiet. I was always a little bit above average intelligence, and I was always pretty focused on things. And my family's really matter of fact. My family's not an emotional family. Uh, my brother's emotional and sensitive, but they, they they think he's the weird one. When in yeah. reality, he's probably just the normal one. And he was you know born from you know the loins of an android. But the <laughs> so I um but I I and I inherited that. I inherited that matter of fact, practical. Uh, don't don't too much. Don't put too much. Uh, sentiment behind it. Mentality. Yeah, I, I would say that it's it's easy to, to not be in touch with your feelings if you come from, I guess, a world where. Your, your relationships are also treated like like business transactions. Does yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, like where it's like if you're doing business with someone, telling someone how you feel is not the way to close a fucking deal. And I'm just speaking uh-huh. from a, a sales perspective, but like interactions with human beings and, and, and building like friendships or, you know, uh, romantic relationships are, are f- what I'm working on is, is just doing everything out of love and telling people how I actually feel out of being honest and, healthy but also like i i'm telling you how i really feel because like i i i care about me enough to do so you know yeah and i think the hardest part is telling someone how i feel when it's something that could be perceived as hurtful yeah and you know figuring out when when i need to just shut my mouth and meditate or talk to, talk to some third party or, um, before I say something that's gonna, gonna hurt myself and others. Yeah. There, there is also something to be said about the honesty, uh, where you'll get people that are like, I'm fucking brutally honest, bro. If you don't, he tells it like it is. Well, you don't always have to tell it like it is like, you you don't put, put a valve on it. Yeah, you, you don't always have to fucking. Um, it's not like the door is either open or closed. Like you can say, like I, I don't feel great right now. Don't want to get into it. That's fine. You know, I, I learning to leak out. You know, honesty, but not. You know, for the, like they kind of say like when when you're uh, in the amends process where you know uh, except when to do so would injure them or others, and I think that can be applied to honesty except when to do so would injure them or others, you know? So mm-hmm. is my honesty going to injure them or others? Like is, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? And does it need to be said right now? Are, 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 are layers that I, if, if I'm, if I'm on my game, that's, that's a good place for me to be in. Yeah. I, uh, I think about that a lot. And cause I, I, during this time of COVID, I, I have a lot of misgivings about, behavior patterns with, you know, mostly, you know, people close with people close to me, you know, it's like, 
when it comes to like making decisions about, okay, can we do this thing we want to do safely? You know, I was really hesitant about going up to see my family, even though my, my dying grandmother was sick. Sure. And I tried to do what I could outside of going up there and being there, you know, cause you know, our, I wasn't sure if I had COVID and, you know, getting a test was not easy, you know, going to be with around people I hadn't breathed the same air as was questionable. And I managed to still, you know, talk to my grandma on the phone. We FaceTime once or twice. And I, I try to remind myself that I did all I could. And I'm grateful. I don't have a lot of like unfinished business with my grandma. I have, things to remember her by, you know, on my screen, this thing, this picture by my right shoulder, Mm -hmm. that's a needle point that she made for me. Because she was a great, you know, great great at sewing. Yeah. It's a, it's a trumpet. I used to, I played the trumpet for a long time and she, she made it for me and I'm grateful to have that. And I'm, I'm grateful having gone to her house and gone through some of her stuff and picked out some, some personal pieces, um, that, Hopefully I can continue to remember her by, or at least use. Yeah, I, uh, I, I feel the same way about, you know, there's little things that we can do to carry on the memory of the people in our lives that I uh, have passed that just make life a little more bearable. Like, yeah. it's like you could remember where you came from with like, the, like in, in the grand scheme of things, like the, 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 the like the th- physical things, you know, like don't make you who you are. But like when I like I have a couple of my dad's knives or like, um, you know, I have uh, his tools that I work on people's cars with. It's just like yeah. it allows me to commune with these people, that this person that was important to me and, and, and continuing to remind me of where I came from and what makes me me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And. In the process of that, you know, I, I try not to be critical of other people who are choosing to either mourn differently or behave differently or behave more recklessly. You know, the the effort to not judge others is difficult, but I've gotten better at not doing it and trying to remember this is just where they are right now. This is where I am right now. You know, it's a cosmic dice game yeah this is where, na- this is where nature has put us um you know there's a whole backstory to my behaviors just like there's a whole backstory to theirs so you know to, for me to put a snap judgment on their whole life in one moment is n- a waste of not only my time but everyone's time and and i feel less anxious when i realize i'm not the center of the universe and that everybody around me is is experiencing life in their own way, yeah. And um, that our orbits cross. Once I know that I'm not the most important person, uh, as far as on the planet, <laughs> yeah. um, then I experience I still experience anxiety, but I experience less of it when I realize that I'm a a, a grain of sand on the beach that is, you know, the universe. Yeah, sometimes it helps to, it's empowering to feel small in that way. How do you experience anxiety? Are, are you an anxious cat? 
Yeah, I get, I get, I get kind of like a tunnel vision when I feel. It's usually because I feel like I have a lot of things to do, and there's only so much time to do them. In COVID, it's loosened a little bit because it doesn't feel like there's a timeline for a lot of things. But sometimes I, you know, like yesterday, I decided I was gonna, you know, clean up a fair amount of my room, or at least like get the laundry done, and. You know, I get a little bit of tunnel vision, and if things, if people or things or ideas get in my way of me getting things done, I start to get anxious because I feel like it, it, it feels like a physical obstacle, even if it's not a physical thing. So if someone is uh, impacting my ability to be productive, I get, uh, I get very frustrated. Yeah. Especially. And if I, and if I feel like I need to break some heavy news to someone, or like I need to make a criticism, um, or point something out that might be a touchy subject, um, and I'm worried about how they're going to react to it before I even tell them, mm-hmm. then I also get anxious, and I but I but I kind of, I kind of shut down. I had a very similar experience just the other day where it's my one roommate who's home right now's turn to clean the kitchen. And I I had to approach it and I was just dreading it because it's like, I don't, I don't want to rock the boat, you know? And so I had to approach it like, Hey, uh, I know you're busy and you might not have time, but at some point, can you, can you, the kitchen's getting kind of gnarly and I think you're up. And then, like, I'm, she was like, yeah, of course, blah, 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 blah. So I had built this thing up in my head that made me anxious when it's just like you live with people. You should be able to ask them, like, hey, can you knock that out, you know? Yeah, I don't – I'm not naturally wired to advocate for myself. Yes. And it's um, – I don't know. I'm still exploring as to where it all came from, but I, I don't – I have had my feelings dismissed before on various times in my life. And it's hurtful, but it's familiar. So I'm wondering if it comes from there. Um, I so when I do speak up, or when I feel the need to speak up, I, there's definitely a lot of questions. Like, does you know, should we save this right now? And it's not like does it's not like we were saying like does this need to be said? Does this need to be said by me? Does this need to be said right now? It's like, what if they, what if they hate you forever? <laughs> you say that yeah might as well be like a like a high school kid like what if they hate you forever like what what if they shun you from the party what if you everybody can't, <laughs> you can't eat with us you you're not invited to the cool kids table because you said that thing yeah and meanwhile i was never invited to the cool kids table to begin with so there's nothing to did lose. you even want to be at that fucking table like and that's i mean yeah. i can relate to that in the way you know like i have a i have a, a healthy help and people pleasing in it in, in my dna uh that i mean it's been fucking eight and a half years that i've been working on my defects uh what would what would you say are the defects of character or the things that you know you, you've been working on the most um, advocating for myself, um, you know, the people pleasing is definitely there. Advocating myself for myself, it's really just like 
mentioning that there's an issue right when there is the issue and not letting it fester within me. Because when I build resentments, I, I create these I create these arguments in my head that don't just have never happened. And then I look at the person that I'm having that fake argument with in real life as if we've had this argument and I built this case against them. And it's, it's just, um, it's debilitating. It's, it takes a lot of energy. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like that energy could be spent, could be spent so differently. And so, yeah, I've just been, and uh, the other, I don't, you could argue this is a defect, but yeah, the desire to be right all the time is definitely something that I'm trying to not stress as much or, or be more judicious about when I lay that card down. I I want to pull up the, the fucking evidence. Like, I, I, my life isn't like a true crime fucking documentary. Like, when I feel like I want to be right, I'll be like, well, here's the Venmo history. I paid this at this time, this at this time. Uh, so come at me, motherfucker. You know, right. just like just in anything. Like I want to pull up the facts. I want to screenshot the info. I don't want to be like, ha, and this and this and this and this. And it's just like, for yeah. fucking what? For fucking it's, what? It's a ma- I think it's a matter of compartmentalizing. For me, my business centers a lot about being right. I'm a tutor. But I do need to have my facts straight. I need to know how to do these, you know, solve these problems, approach these tests with the right strategies. And I do ask, you know, my students like, Hey, you pick this answer. Where's the evidence for it? I can't do that with my brother or my girlfriend or my friends or my parents. Um, but the problem is like, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. It's like, that is kind of how my family operates when it comes to like, if we're arguing about something, you know, and or like a social issue, you know, I had a, I unfortunately let my guard down and had like a political argument with my with my family. Oh boy! <laughs> on my la- on my last dinner, I was going to drive home that evening from, but and that last dinner, I had a political argument with my parents, and. I don't need to get into the nuts and bolts of it, but my parents and I think differently about, you know, how our government should be run and how, how our communities should be organized and how, who should be taken care of. And, you know, my parents are a little bit more individualistic and I'm a little bit more focused on the community because that's where we are in our lives. You know, my parents are, they do pretty well for themselves. So, you know, that pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of idea it worked out for. Them. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's hard to explain to someone who's never not had bootstraps. Right. And wish I had that comeback during that argument. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. Save that for Thanksgiving, Stu. Sure. Sure. The, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's those surrender slip ups of like, you know, what am you know, thinking about like, do, you know, do I need to say this? What am I going to gain from this? Am I really going to turn their opinion around from one dinner table conversation? The answer is mo- most of the time, no. And I'm just, but, 
you know, I, I had, I made progress with them on another tough conversation about privilege. Um, and I don't know if, you know, whoever's listening can hear from the sound, the tone of my voice, but I sound privileged. Uh, and that's because I am. (laughs) Stu is a handsome white gentleman from the Bay area. He yeah. he's had one or two things go right for him. Yeah, I've I've been I've been born within I, I was I came up in many layers of bubbles. So I and I see that more clearly now. I'm a little less defensive about it. And I I was just I made a little bit of progress with my parents, you know, talking about the concept of privilege and what it meant and how some of the people that I'm around now in comedy and in other parts of my life did not have the, that access, and I just want people to have the same access to the same resources. I don't care. You know, the outcome is not my concern. I can't control the outcome. But, you know, my what I would want, I'd be willing to fight for socially and politically would be for people to have the, just the same access. Yeah, I, I it's I always my favorite argument to against. Or people that don't think like the Black Lives Matter movement. It's like they literally just want you to think that their lives matter. Mm-hmm. That's it's not it's not there's no it just matter. Like I I think a big thing too, uh, you know, is having these conversations which is important between two straight, cisgendered white guys. One more handsome than the other, uh, uh, but it to it's our jobs to talk about this with our people. It's not like people of color's job. It's not because the hard part is convincing people that it's worth the time to fucking rewire their brains from what they grew up around. You know, like when you grow up in in a in a in a high school where there's like a very small percentage of people of color, you're obviously going to grow up differently than someone who grow grew up in like around where a very diverse background, and you you have to unlearn some of the things that you maybe have been, were raised on. And I don't think everybody's willing to do the amount of internal work and um, to have the conversations like at this juncture of the podcast that we're having or you bringing that up to your parents, you know, like a lot of people aren't even willing to do that. And a lot of people aren't willing to, to forgive themselves for past transgressions, like, like, like forgive themselves for not knowing yeah. You know, and it's like, what are you doing now? What are you doing now that you do know? You know, that that to me is what I think is important. Yeah, it is. It's important to be forgiving, not just of others, but of ourselves. And I, I, I have to set reminders on my phone, you know. Remember to remember to approach you know, this day with, with love and compassion and remember that you don't know everything and that's okay. And I have a, I have a reminder that comes up every day on my phone that says, forgive yourself. Yeah. And cause I'm, I, I come from a family that where like an A minus was a problem and the expectations were just, were so unreasonably high. And I, and it's, it's no, 
the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I, you know, I'm going to set high expectations for myself and oftentimes unreasonable ones. And so I, I've gotten much better at making my expectations more reasonable. And I've gotten much better at um, meeting others where they are and meeting myself where I am. Yeah, and that and that's essentially what question eight is: is how do you experience forgiveness and allowing yourself to forgive yourself and other people's? It's just it's it's a it's a lifelong journey. Yeah, it's like, a daily practice. For for forgiveness is especially when I've got a lot of evidence in my, in my pocket to the contrary, it's, it's still, it's still, it's still a, a, a task to forgive the people who maybe have wronged me, uh, or for forgiving myself for continually treating myself like a pile of shit. Yeah. 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 And I, I there are days when I am less forgiving, but there's also days when I'm more forgiving. So I try to, Again, just meet myself where I am. Yeah. What What's the most like surprising amends or apology that you've ever given or received? Um, I am in the pro- full disclosure. I'm in the process of that step of giving okay. those amends, so I'm not. I can't speak to that um, fully because I just haven't experienced it yet, but. Um, I did get a, I did get a, uh, an amends from, from Anna when, you know, there was a moment when, oh, I was trying to help her move, uh, a friend of, of ours and I were helping her move and we were trying to get her mattress in my car, which is kind of like a wagon setup and, the, the car was pretty stuffed to the gills and the mattress was getting in there a little bit more and more, but it was starting to get to the point where it wasn't clear if the mattress was going to fit. And, um, and it just kind of blew up at us and she like threw one of her things around and we're, I'm just like, you know, she's usually cool, calm and collected and she just kind of exploded at us. And, um, and then later that day she, she came to me and you know, and made amends for her behavior. Like it wasn't fair to you. It wasn't fair to our friend. And um, being the neophyte in my my program, I probably could have taken it better. I was still I was still not pleased with that interaction, but I, I appreciated that. You- and looking back on it now, how does it make you feel to have experienced like what amends looks like from someone who's working a program? Uh, it was nice to see it modeled, and it was a big it's a, it's a big move to make it, um, even if it's for what some might consider a small thing. Yeah, it's the little things that fucking make me a goddamn psychopath. So, like, I I get it. <laughs> yeah. Um. What's your spiritual practice look like on a day to day? I know you talked a little bit about reminders in your phone. Um, you know, are there any other things you do on a day to day basis to keep, you know, the the old Stuart homeostasis? Um, 
I try to treat myself with compassion and kindness and I try to, you know, try not to deny myself pleasures just because just in the name of like some sort of higher purpose. It's like, you know what, let me have a let me have a bite of fucking ice cream or whatever. It's like um you know, I try if I'm I try to treat myself when I do good things. I try to reward myself for my good deeds. And I try to remind myself, even when I'm having trouble sleeping, like, you did all you could today. There is nothing more you can do right now. Because the day's ending. Day's over. Yeah. That that def- that definitely helps. And um, I I send gratitude lists back with with Anna and a couple of our a couple of my friends and they don't you know some of them don't always send the gratitude list back that's that's not my expectation it's just just a reminder to be grateful for the things that i have in my life and that my um you know from my my skiing accident to my sinuses being messed up to covid you know it's a reminder that none of these things are permanent none of these privileges or luxuries that we have even when we're not in the best of circumstances, none of these are guaranteed. So gratitude is important. Definitely. I think, uh, and it's, it's all just fucking fleeting, you know, dealing with death in any capacity makes you realize that the most valuable thing you can give to anybody is your time, you know? Yeah. Um, so what would you say, um, your relationship is, with uh, a higher power if you have one if you don't have one what's what's that relationship look like it's for me it it comes more with the the balance of nature you know it's like that reminder that sort of stoic reminder that this is where we are is you know, it's like this is this is where nature has brought us today and tomorrow might be different. The day after might be different still. But it, it kind of... I do find uh, some comfort in the cosmic dice game that is the universe. Because that means when the probability that certain things are do happen is pretty mind-blowing. You know, the probability in the many series of dice throws in that this universe could provide that brought brought me to you or brought you to me or brought Anna and me together is pretty mind blowing. Yeah. It is quite profound. Yeah. And and if, and if I'm willing to see it that way, then it's pretty great. Right. That's, that's the kicker. Yeah. But it's not perfect. And I don't think my idea of a higher power has any, uh, aims at perfection. Um, because that's what I'm trying to fight against, really. But I am reminded that, you know, there is forgiveness, and I think it is really great when people, if people do make mistakes, that they own up to them. And I have, I have stuff that I've, that I'm working on owning up to fully, and I'm in the middle of that, and it's, uh, it's hard. But it's um, it's the be- it's the better way to go. Yeah, uh, it's uh, 
a, a good lesson in powerlessness for me when I try to, you know, do the right thing and know that I have no control over the results and to stay out of the outcome. Yeah. You know, like I'm a big nature spirit of the universe guy myself. So I feel like the act of trying to do better and then my willingness to try to not take everything so personally is in, in essence tapping into something that's bigger than me. Yeah. Well, we made it to the end, buddy. The last question. What would you tell someone listening who is maybe just like you? <sighs> yeah, one big sigh. That's usually the question yeah. where everybody's like, God damn it, there's someone like me out there. I feel so bad for them. <laughs> I don't I don't feel bad for them, but I mean I'd probably tell them the things that I have reminders on my phone for. It's like Forgive yourself. Remember that you have people in your life that you love that also love you. And remember that you might not know everything. You probably don't. You certainly don't. And that's okay. Yeah, man. I was more projecting. I was like, man, if someone's just like me, the insanity. Oof. I don't wish. I don't wish. I don't wish what goes on between my ears on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me neither, but, you know, it's, you know, Cosmic Dice game, there's seven, seven and a half billion people, there's bound to be some. Hell yeah, man. There's hope. There's, there's hope for, uh, the people that are just like anybody that you hear on this podcast or anybody that's listening right now. There, there is hope. That is the message that we throw down here at 12 Questions. We did it. We made it through 12 Questions. Uh, it it feels it feels we miss we miss our our fearless leader Anna Valenzuela. But this was wonderful to talk to you, Stuart Thompson. Uh, where yeah, can people where can people find you and uh, what do you got going on? Uh, they can find me uh, in several places. My they can find me at my website stuartthompsoncomedy.com or follow me on the socials at Stuart B Thompson. That's S T U A R T B T H O M Son, and I have an album out. Uh, I released an album a couple weeks ago. It's my first stand-up comedy album. It's called Dandy Man, and it's available wherever you get your albums. So if you, you know, the big places are like Apple and Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, Tidal, YouTube. Uh, but you can also get on Napster if you're still on Napster. Hell um, yeah! Some LimeWire. Get that Dandy Man <laughs> on LimeWire. Yeah. So, um, and if they, if any of your listeners uh, have a place that they get their albums and it's not there, uh, let me know. But it's called Dandy Man. It's from Radland Records. It's a really great introduction to what my standup is like. So I hope people enjoy it. And I'm really grateful I can release uh, some really well honed material during this time when there's not a lot of live shows happening. Hell yeah! At Dandy Man, the cover is amazing. It is Stuart in a suit and a superman cape uh i love the artwork uh so danny man get it wherever you consume comedy um you can find me at yates comedy on all platforms uh i want you to check out at 12 q pod on instagram twitter if you're not already liking us or retweeting what we're doing please at 12 q pod help us get the word out to more people uh you can follow uh miss anna valenzuela at uh anna v is fun uh and 
subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, all that good stuff. We're on Anchor. You can find us on SoundCloud. Pretty much tell a friend. If you listened, if you enjoyed, tell a friend about Dandy Man. Tell a friend about 12Q Pod. Uh, and uh, on behalf of everybody who's ever listened to the 12 Questions podcast, we always end it the same way, whether Anna is here or not. Uh, Stuart, if no one's told you today, we love you. Love you too, man. Thank you. Yeah, I truly do love you, buddy, and I'm glad we're friends, and I'm proud to know you. Uh, and listeners out there, if no one's told you this today, we love you. So thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.